0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Ben. I'm so glad that you are at Four Corners today for Easter 2017. We're joining with Christians literally around the world and over the ages, the last couple thousand years, that have celebrated what we believe to be the most important event in human history. We believe that it's true, it's not just a fairy tale, that Jesus Christ came and lived his perfect life here on this earth, that he gave up his life on a cross that he didn't deserve, And more importantly, that that cross that killed him didn't keep him dead. That he was resurrected after three days out of a tomb. And we celebrate it today in a thing called Easter. And in fact, all around the world, people are going to be participating in the exact same thing I'm going to ask you to do right now. And when we do this thing, we're joining with Christians over the last couple thousand years who made sure that regularly they focused on the resurrection of Jesus. And so what would often happen in churches over the last couple thousand years, a leader would come to the front of the group of people and he would say, he is risen, and the crowd would respond with the phrase, he is risen indeed. They would do it three times as a way of just reminding them that no matter what else is going on in life, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what you're looking forward to or what obstacles in front of you, no matter how much fear you have, sickness, pain, no matter what's going on, the resurrection of Jesus means that there's life that can be found through Jesus's work in our heavenly father. So I'm going to ask you to do that with me. We're going to do it three times. I'm going to say he is risen and you just say back to me. He is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. risen That's awesome that's awesome. And we're doing it right here in Westchester. We have part of our church family, literally halfway around the world in Kerala, India. Uh, We have a church planting ministry there and an orphanage that this church has built. And every child in that orphanage is sponsored by people in this church, or at least people who give money to this church. It's about 94% people in our church, a couple of friends outside of our church. And they make sure that each of these kids are fed, are educated, have shelter over them. And they are, just a few hours ago, what would have been Sunday morning for them, they're also celebrating Easter. And I was communicating with the pastor of that organization and I made sure that I would let him know that we would pray for him today. So we're gonna do that in just a second. We're gonna pray for that work in India, that church planting ministry and that orphanage that we're supporting. And we are going to also just join our hearts with them, even though they're literally halfway around the world. And we're gonna join our hearts with Christians all over the globe today that are celebrating Jesus And I thought a great way to begin before we jump into God's word and look at some of the impact that Easter means for us, we could just bow our heads, ready our hearts to receive God's word and pray for our church family halfway around the world. Would you bow with me right now? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not a God who knows what it is to be defeated by death. Thank you that you are a God who knows no boundaries. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that he was resurrected from the tomb. And we join with your family all over this world, brothers and sisters here in this city. We join with those all the way over in Kerala, India, under the leadership of Pastor James, those young orphan girls and boys and all the pastors in his care. And we say to you, Father, that we are grateful to be your children. That death doesn't hold us. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are your children. And today, God, we prepare our hearts to receive what your word would speak to us. Make us receptive to all that you would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. If you brought a Bible, that's awesome. If you didn't, you can look on your phone, perhaps, or on the side screens as we get to it. But also, most of the passages we're going to refer to are in a thing called your message notes. Right here, it looks like this on the front. When you open it up, you can follow along. We give you message notes so that you can take things home, you can look it over, you can contemplate what we've talked about. We think that you come to church not just to be stirred and encouraged alone, although we hope that happens. We think that you come to church ultimately to be changed by the work of God in your life. And so for us, what we do in these few minutes together becomes very important through our life over the course of the week. I want to talk with you today about the resurrection of Jesus, but not just the story of Jesus. The thing that Jesus wanted you to understand about the story. The thing that Jesus wanted you to know about the story itself. The story of his life. His perfect life. The story of him giving his life. The story of him being resurrected to him. What was it all about? And we could spend our time today talking about what happened. And that would be valid. I'm going to do a little bit of that. But I want to get beyond the what happened. And I want to talk with you a little bit today about why God would go through this. What was going on? What is the why behind the what of the resurrection? When we talk about Easter, you're in church today. Maybe somebody drugged you to church. Perhaps they promised you that they would get you a nice meal afterwards. Maybe they got you an Easter basket this morning. By the way, if you got one of those hollow Easter bunnies in a basket, that means your family does not love you. <laughs> if they loved you, they would have given you a solid Easter bunny. They would have. They would have. So I don't know what brought you here today. We're going to talk about the resurrection, but we're just not going to share the story and the facts. We're going to talk about why. What's really going on? And then I want to make a point that may not be crystal clear to you yet. And if not, I hope that this is the thing you walk away with today. And it's that first sentence in your message notes. It says this. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then Christianity is a sham. It's a lie. It's false. And if it is true, then it is of infinite importance. If this resurrection of Jesus, that he was truly dead, that it wasn't a facade, but he was literally dead, and if it's true that he came back alive and he's still alive today, then that fact in human history is the most important fact of all time. When you read the Bible writers in the New Testament, they believed it was the most important fact in human history. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, at one point, Paul wrote these words. If Christ be not raised, then all of our preaching, all of our work is in vain. It doesn't matter. Now, a lot of us know a little bit about Jesus. We know a little bit about Jesus, and what we know about him is important. We know a little bit about what he was like and Every once in a while around the holidays, they'll put something on television that reminds us of the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus. You see it at Christmas time. You see it at Easter time. And man, the Jesus in those movies is so awesome. He's kind of handsome usually. And, you know, he kind of sticks it to the Roman government. He sticks it to the man and he has a heart for the poor. And he tells people that have messed up that they can go on and have a life beyond their mess up and their sins. He's a incredibly compelling character. And we love to talk about that guy. But in our culture at large, and perhaps even in your head, there's a side of Jesus that's a little less palpable, a little less tasty, if you will. It's the side of Jesus where he flexes the fact that he's not just human and a nice guy with some good teaching. He is, in fact, the son of God. And his life is sprinkled with miracles that defy logic, that go beyond science. And this whole day of Easter is based on something that goes beyond logic. It's the side of Jesus' character that people get uncomfortable to talk about. The fact that he was really God, and he really came and lived, and he really died, and he really got up. That's the side of Jesus that's a little less palpable. Because if that were true, if that is accurate, then we can't just dismiss it. It's something we have to take very seriously. We love the other parts of him, like we love the love that he gives. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. I bet many of you when you were married, it was read at your wedding. We love that part of Jesus, that is love. Love. Let me ask you a question. Who told you that Jesus is love? Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. They told you that God is love. And that part of God's personality, that is love, is very attractive. Here's something, again, that you may not have understood. When you say that God is love, even the person who told you that, do you want to know where they got that story from, where they got that truth from, where they understood that piece of the personality of Jesus, that he was love. they got it ultimately from the pages of the, of the Bible. When your grandmother told you that God is love, perhaps he was referring to 1 Corinthians 13, or maybe 1 John four eighteen that says God is love. It wasn't just an abstract thing they pulled out that made us understand the character of God being love. It was something they pulled from the pages of the Bible. Like again, 1 Corinthians 13, which was written by the Apostle Paul, who is the very one that said, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then everything is in vain. So the very guy that teaches us that God is love says that ultimately what's more important than the characters of God alone is the fact that he sent his son Jesus into the world and that Jesus gave his life and was resurrected from a tomb. And John the Apostle who wrote the words in First John 4:18, "God is love," he's the one that said, "Because Jesus is resurrected, anybody that would teach you another gospel that said, "Jesus isn't resurrected is a liar and a false prophet." So the very people that we get the source, material from that makes Jesus attractive, that He is loving that he takes up for people, that he gives second chances, that his teachings can revolutionize the way human beings interact. The very people that teach us those sorts of things, the reason they taught that is that behind it all, they believed that the resurrection of Jesus was the most important thing. And if it weren't true, each one of them would have said, none of the rest of it matters. And so here it is on Easter Sunday. And I could tell you again the story of the resurrection. We've sung about it. I've referred to it already. But beyond just telling you the story, I want to take you to a place in the Bible where Jesus, in his own words, gets to the heart of his mission. The whole reason he came and gave his life. And it's found for us in Luke chapter 15. And in fact, even if you haven't been in church, you may have heard some of this story. This is that famous chapter in the Bible where there's a story told that Charles Dickens said is the finest short story ever written. It's the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son. Now, when we use the word prodigal in our English language, what we typically mean is like runaway. Because we know that this story, if you've been around church at all, if not, you're going to love this story. We know that this story talks about a son who runs away from home. And ultimately finds his way back. And so we associate the word prodigal with runaway. And pastors all over the country preach this passage. And they say, so here's the point of it. You need to come back home. And by the way, that's a great point of this story. But I want to show you another side of the story today. I want to show you the story, not from the vantage point of the prodigal son, the son who runs away. But I want to show you the story from the vantage point of the father in the story. The main character in the story that we have perhaps already heard about is not the son and what happened to him. The main character in this story is the the story of the father and his attitude and his heart and his actions all through this story. The, The son is referred to some four times, but the father in this story is referred to 12 times. This is a story about a father who loved extravagantly who loved recklessly. In fact, that's what the word prodigal means. It means wasteful or reckless. This is the story about a heavenly father ultimately, as Jesus told it, who is reckless in his love for you. It makes no sense. It appears wasteful how much he lavishes love on people. It's illogical. And when Jesus had a chance to direct people to his primary point. What he often would do is he would show them the heart of his heavenly father. And that's exactly what this story does. And I hope you walk away today with a handful of things that maybe if you're a runaway from the family of God will motivate you to come back. And I hope there are pieces of this story that you find intriguing. But more importantly than all of that, I hope you hear the heart of your heavenly father for you the heart of your heavenly father for you. So Luke chapter 15, there in your sermon notes, verse 11 goes like this. Jesus continued, he was already teaching. There were two other stories he had already told. We'll reference those in a minute. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. A younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Here's what's going on. That younger son who deserved one-third of the inheritance. Father had two sons. The older son gets the double portion, so he gets two-thirds. The younger son gets one-third. The younger son said, I don't want to wait until you die, Dad. I want my stuff, and I want it now. Now, in that culture, it's a big deal. It would be a big deal if your children did that to you. But it was a really big deal because that younger son was effectively saying, Dad, I see you as my money bank. I see you as the source of my financial well-being. Your money is more important to me than you are. And I want to have your money. And as soon as he gets the money, the younger son hightails it out of the father's house. Doesn't want an ongoing relationship with his dad. He just wants the stuff that his dad can provide him. The horrible story of family dysfunction. One of the reasons I love the scriptures, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because when the Bible's trying to talk to us about the most important things in life, it doesn't completely anesthetize the story. It doesn't clean it up all the way. It gives us the raw truth of what often happens in life. And here in the middle of a story about our heavenly Father's love for us is the reality that sometimes families are screwed up. They are. If your family's not perfect... You're biblical. You ever wonder if you want to have a biblical family? You got one. Most of the Bible families are messed up. Joseph's family, brothers didn't like him, sold him into slavery. Bad, bad family. Bad family. Jesus' family tree, found in Matthew chapter one and in the early parts of the book of Luke, you go through that family tree, and person after person has a checkered past. And here in our story, there's a younger son who basically says to dad, Dad, I just want your stuff. I don't really want you. And you give me your stuff, I'm out of here. And that brings me to the first point that we're going to make about our father's love that Jesus was talking to the crowds about because he wanted them to not just see what he was doing. He wanted them to not just be stirred. He wanted them to know his heavenly father's heart. Point number one here. God loves you even after you reject him and break his heart. God loves you even after you reject him and break his heart. One of the primary truths of this passage is a father's love that is boundless. It's reckless. It almost appears wasteful. And no matter how many steps this Younger son, and then later his older brother are gonna take to demonstrate that they don't understand their father's heart for them. No matter how many steps they take, this father is gonna go out of his way to show them that he loves them with reckless abandon. If the story of Easter is about anything, it's the story of our heavenly father who loved us when we were unlovable, when we were on our last thread When we had pushed every boundary, he looked at us and said, I love you. I love you. Now, this young man's story is filled with incredible facts. That even though the time and centuries have passed, you and I can relate to some of his story. There are pieces of his story that all of us can relate to. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse 13 through 16, here's what the Bible says about this young man's experience after he left his father's house. Not long after that, so it wasn't a whole long time. The younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Depending on what English version of the Bible you have, translated from Greek to English, you might actually read the word prodigal. He became a prodigal. He became wasteful and reckless. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who was far away from his homeland, who sent him into the field to feed And as Jesus was telling this story, this is where the crowd gasped for the second time. The first time is when the younger son had the audacity to look at his father and say, I want my stuff. And the second time was when the younger son ended up feeding pigs. Because in the Jewish culture, pigs were to be avoided at all costs. And here he is at the lowest of the low, and he finds himself feeding the pigs. And the Bible says here in our next sentence, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Now his life started out great, away from the father, away from the rules and everything that money could buy, he was enjoying it. But it fell apart, it fell apart. He was not only disconnected from his family and his homeland, he finds himself in a faraway place But he finds himself lower than he ever thought he would go. And I know it's Easter and I'm supposed to just make you feel good. But I know, I need you to know that this is a story in part about just how bad sin will wreck your life. Sin, have you ever heard of that concept? It's church. Come on, you expected me to talk about it. You know you did. Now when I'm talking to my young kids when they were younger, we would talk about sin being an eye problem. You know, S-I-N, I I right in the middle. In the minds of a nine-year-old, what we would say is is that sin is when it's all about I, 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 and we say to God, no, no, no. It's what I want. It's what I want. And it's a simplified way for understanding sin. And I probably don't even have to paint a picture about it. You probably already know. You're old enough to know what sin is all about. You're old enough to know just how far sin will take you. It'll take you farther than you want it to go. It'll make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what sin will do. This is the story, in part, of what sin will do to a person's life. He never imagined when his father gave him all that stuff that he would one day be looking at pigs hoping to have a bite of food that they're eating. He never expected to be empty and distant. Now, he thought that sin would be fun, and of course it is, right? Sin is fun. I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to say that. It is. If you don't think sin is fun, let me just be clear with you, you're not doing it right. There are people here that can show you a much better way to sin if you don't think it's fun. It clearly is. That's what's so attractive about it. In fact, the Bible affirms that. It says that the pleasure of sin is for a season. It is but it's for a season. It comes to an end. This is the story, not just of a younger son who said to his father, I want my own stuff. This is the story of a man who walked down the path of saying, not just I want my father's stuff and I don't wanna be around him, but I'm gonna do my own thing. And it's the story of where his own thing took him. And some of you are there today. You know what it's like. And I just want to be clear with you, if this is you and you're in the middle of this reality right now where your own choices as you've walked away from what you knew was right have put you in a painful place, then we are thrilled you're here. When you walked under the sign outside our uh, doors that said Real Love Now, for us, that's not a slogan. Every person in this room has had to experience to some degree what it is to have our Heavenly Father look at us and say, yeah, I know you blew it and I know you went your own way and you walked away from me, but I loved you anyway. And we created a place where to the best of our ability, we would love people no matter what their background story was, even if they had to pull themselves out of the pigsty to come and be a part of us. For some of you, it's probably the pain and the darkness of sexual sin. I know it's Easter. Go with me. All right. I know we're not supposed to talk about this stuff, but you know what it was when you broke your own commitments to yourself, let alone whatever else you, used you thought God wanted you to do. And you know the pain that can come in that or in a broken relationship or perhaps addiction. In our culture in North Cincinnati, it's extremely high debt. These things become a bondage on us. They become chains on us. Sin always always chains us in. It never leads to the freedom we think that we're having. We make the mistake we think that rebellion is freedom when in fact rebellion always leads to shackles. Here's a son who's gone off and done his own thing, but now he's empty without funds, without friends, without family, and without food. He's messed up. How does this happen? Well, it's not that much of a surprise. You can look around popular culture, that famed theologian, Eminem. Have you guys ever read him? Here's what he said about this. He said, you have to be careful what you wish for. He said, I've always wished for this success that he's had, but it's become more of a nightmare than a dream. Angelina Jolie. She said one of the most upsetting times in her life was when she had everything, success, financial stability, and she was deeply in love, and she woke up and realized she wasn't even happy. You, you've seen it. When you got what you thought you wanted and it wasn't what you thought you were going to get. This is the young son. And you have to listen to this story with kind of split screen on your television. Remember that from the late 90s when that was a big deal? You'd watch two shows at once. Some of you're still doing that's fine, right? There's the younger son, there's the younger son, and then there's the father. And the whole time the younger son's story is playing out, there's a father who is waiting and hopeful and patient and loving and kind. But the younger son has forgotten all about him. And so here's Jesus telling this story to an audience. And Jesus knows his own future. He knows his his life is winding down. He's headed to a cross. He's headed to a tomb. He knows he's going to be resurrected. He's already started talking about it. They're going to kill me. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. And people are like, hmm, wonder what that means. Because it didn't make any more sense back then than it does now. It's just so familiar to us that we accept it. But the impact of the resurrection, the raw truthfulness of that event changes everything. And Jesus is using every word he can to help people see the heart of his father. So that when he has given up his life and when he has been brought back to life, people would understand what God was trying to say to them. That he loves them. And his love is reckless. So that brings us to point number two. God loves you as you wander in darkness. Interesting little uh, note here. When I sent my sermon notes into the tech team, I had one, wonder, D-W-O-N. And they like, I think you want wonder. And I'm like, you're right, I want wonder. But the truth is, is some of us are in darkness and we're just kind of in wonder for a while. You can go either way on this, but we're wandering, we're lost. That's kind of how this goes. And so, for instance, in Luke chapter 15, verse 17 and following, here's what our Bible says about this younger son. He says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll sit out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." So he got up and he went to his father. Can you imagine the shame and the reproach that he felt? To have hit such a low point to imagine himself going back to the place that he had rejected. I mean, he had to be pretty low. It was a last-ditch effort. It was his last resort. And I'll go back, but I won't go back as a son. I'll just say, Dad, would you treat me like a servant? For him, that made sense. It seemed fair. He had come to terms with his own behavior. He had come to terms with what he had done, and he knew he didn't deserve it. And so he says, I'll go back and I'll be a slave in my father's house. I've seen this happen in church life. People are at the bottom, they're going through something. They know that they're partly responsible for that. Some of the choices they made, put them there. And in addition to just having to deal with the reality that they're in, which is difficult, there is inside of them a shame and a guilt or perhaps a heightened sense of fairness. They don't deserve a second chance. And that reality came to bear on that young man. And when the Bible says he came to his senses, what it's saying is his eyes were opened and he began to see things more accurately than he had been seeing them. It's what happens sometimes when we're going through perhaps a marriage problem and we never stood in front of God and audience and our friends and said the words I do intending to have ended up in the places we ended up. Maybe you have felt a similar kind of the starkness of the reality of your life when your children have gone through challenges and you're like, how did we end up here? I thought we were good parents. And the reality of the pressure you're under is right in front of you. Or perhaps what started off as recreational use of some substance ended up grabbing a hold of you and now it won't let go and you can't believe you're here. And so you gotta deal with all of those scenarios, but on top of it, Sometimes there's this overwhelming guilt and shame that would, if it could, prevent you from even reaching out to the very people that could help you. Jesus told this story to every person who had made mistakes, who had sinned, who had blown it, who had begun to feel the pressure and the natural consequences of their own sin. He told this story to say to them that even when you wander, your heavenly Father loves you. And on the split screen again, you're doing your thing and you're feeling your stuff, but your heavenly Father is waiting with bated breath and open arms for you. And that guilt and that shame, he wants to take it away from you. That's what he was saying on the cross and in his resurrection. He was saying, I'm here to take that from you. That's why the writers of the Bible use these words, my favorite words about the resurrection. After the words he is risen, here are my favorite words. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be at work in your mortal bodies. The same power that raised him from the dead is available to every child of God, to those that will call on him. So Jesus tells this story about a wayward son who comes to himself, but then there's guilt and shame. And the best he can see of himself is that he would be a slave in his father's house because that would be fair. But he doesn't know that there's a prodigal God who will love him with reckless abandon. That brings us to point number three that god loves you as he brings you back god loves you as he brings you back now when we read this story it's not as clear that god is the one kind of orchestrating the events because you read about a son and the choices he's making but all that all that activity of the son is happening under the watchful eye of a father who could have chased him down he had the resources to go grab him and force him back. He did. He was wealthy. He could have hired mercenary soldiers to go drag his son back. In fact, we begin to see the heart of this father in Jesus' other two stories that he told in Luke 15. The whole chapter is just three parables. Maybe you've heard these parables. The first parable that Jesus tells is the parable of a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And at night, 99 of the sheep make it into the fold, but one is missing. And the Bible says that that shepherd goes and he looks for that one sheep as if he cares so much for that one sheep because he does care for that one sheep. And the 99 are safe in the pen, but the shepherd goes all night. And when he finds that sheep, he doesn't berate the sheep. He picks the sheep up, puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries it back like a loving shepherd. That's the first story. The second story is the story of a lost coin. A young woman has 10 coins worth a lot of money. And one day she looks out and she realizes one of the 10 coins is missing. She only has nine. And the Bible says she turns her house upside down looking for that valuable coin. She doesn't rest in the nine coins that she has. She turns the house upside down looking for the one coin that is missing. This would be like you, You know, you got like seven credit cards in your wallet. And one morning you're going through it and there's six and one is missing. And you're not happy you still have six credit cards. Oh, no. You're going to figure out where that other credit card went because it's valuable to you. It's valuable. And so Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the coin. In each case, an incredible pursuit happened. The place is turned upside down. No limit is put upon the effort to find that which is lost. And you see the same attitude of the father in the story that we're reading in our next verse. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, the middle part of that. But while the son was a far way off, or while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father saw him and was filled with compassion Filled with compassion. Now, I'm a dad. I love my kids. I love my kids. There's sometimes I love them so much it it hurts. I mean, I I remember when each one was born, looking at them and going, I never knew you could love so much. But I'm gonna be honest. When they're not behaving, my first emotion is not often compassion. I'm frustrated. They've inconvenienced me. There's embarrassment. You know, how could you act like this after all I've done for you? Of course, implying I'm a perfect parent. You know, all that goes in with that but not this father. When he sees how painful his son has become, how filled with pain, even at his own choices. And he knows the story. He was there when his son said to his dad, I want nothing to do with you, just give me your stuff. But what happens in his heart is he's waiting, he's waiting, he's looking out the window, please come home. He knew he couldn't force him. The son had to come on his own terms. But man, when he saw him coming down that dusty road and he saw those little puffs of smoke from his feet in that dirt path. The Bible says this older, dignified, wealthy gentleman ran to meet his son. While his father saw him coming a long way off. That brings us to point number four. God loves you as he wraps you in his arms. I want you to see what kind of love this father had for his son here. Verse 15, picking up the end of verse 20, or chapter 15, the end of verse 20. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. He's acting very undignified. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. He fully embraced him. He took him back in. And all that fear of shame and guilt began to turn. As the father, with reckless abandon, with wildness, expressed lavish love on his wayward son. He was just thrilled that he was home. And Jesus is telling this story as he stands in the shadow of the cross. It's just a few weeks away. And he wants every person under the sound of his voice to know that your heavenly father loves you. And if you can relate to the younger son, If you've been there to some category, I hope, Jesus would say, that you understand behind all of your behavior is a heavenly father who loves you and is just waiting. And at the moment you begin to turn, at the moment you begin to go back and come back home, he will run to meet you. You will not find shame. You will not find embarrassment. He is not gonna bring guilt. He's not gonna do an I told you so. He is going to wrap his arms around you. Almost embarrassingly so. Almost embarrassingly so. Which brings us to point number five. God loves you as he baptizes you with grace and makes all things new. As he baptizes you with grace and makes all things new. I use that word baptize there because the word baptism of very Christian terms simply means to immerse. So when we do a baptism around here, we just immerse people in the water, which represents being immersed into the grace and love of God, completely covered over. There isn't a spot on you it doesn't touch. And we talk about grace, but I'm telling you, I'm not sure anybody in this room has understood the full measure of God's grace. Look at how it's expressed in the story Jesus is telling, trying to give people an accurate picture of his heavenly Father's heart. But the father said to his servant, we have to pause right there. The son has gone into his speech. I'll go home. I'll tell my dad, just let me be a servant. I don't even wanna live in the house. Just let me be your servant. And I don't, don't call me a son. Just let me, give me a spot. Give me a roof over my head and a little bit of food. But the father cuts him off, cuts off his prepared speech and says, I don't wanna hear that foolish talk. You're my son. And then the father of the Bible says, To his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. He didn't just run to meet him. The father continued his lavish display, his lavish, reckless spending on his son. And in telling this story, Jesus is declaring to us the power of the cross and the resurrection. That when Jesus said your heavenly father would forgive your sin and he would cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, he was declaring a reality that he could back up with history. He was saying, you don't know if I'm telling you the truth, watch me. I'll give my life, which would be impressive Greater love has no man than a man who would lay down his life for a friend. So Jesus' death is an amazing, miraculous display of love. But beyond just love, it is a display of power. Because he didn't just die, he was resurrected. Which was proof that all he was saying about our Heavenly Father was true. In this story that is almost too good to be true, we discover that it is actually True. To believe in this kind of love from our heavenly father takes as much faith as it does almost to believe that Jesus was really dead and resurrected from a tomb. And Jesus is hoping people will connect the dots and I'm hoping you will, that on Easter we're not just celebrating a cute little story, we're celebrating an an amazing amount of immense love and power demonstrated to us, demonstrated to you personally. No matter where you've come from, the cross is more than a decoration. It's a declaration that Jesus Christ loves us. And that he would give his life because our heavenly father sent him as his one and only son. That if we would simply believe in him, we could have life. And then he backed it up by emptying the tomb. He backed it up. And so he in this, he baptizes us in grace and completely, completely removes the guilt and the shame of our sin. And he gives them three items. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but he gives them a robe that belonged to his father. It identifies you're back in the family. You're mine. You're, I call you my own. You're my son. In, in your case, perhaps, you're my daughter. And then he gives them a ring, the symbol of authority. I lift your head. Straighten your spine. You're mine. You don't walk in fear and guilt and shame. And then he gave him his sandals. And servants didn't wear sandals. Only sons wear sandals. And all way, he was indicating that you're mine and I take you fully in. Now, this is the story of the younger son. This is the story of Jesus running after us, taking on our shame. He was beat on. He was spat upon. There was a cat of nine tails. They put nails in his hands and his feet. The pain so unbearable that grown men would weep. They would vomit. They would urinate all over themselves at a crucifixion. The Romans would hang them in a public place. Incredible guilt and shame. The cross wasn't anything beautiful. We've adorned our necks and decorated our walls with it, but really it's a It's an ugly, ugly, ugly thing. But then there's the resurrection. For Jesus begins to make all things new. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work still in this world. Making our heavenly father's offer of grace, not just a nicety, but it makes it a powerful thing that literally washes away sin and stain and literally makes us a part of God's family again. One more time, if the cross and the resurrection are not true, then this is a quaint little story that you can tell your kids about trying to love people more. But if the cross and the resurrection are true, this is a story of a heavenly father that was looking you in the eye and saying, I love you this much, even when you act like the younger son. That brings us to point number six. God loves you when you're too proud to receive his grace. There were three people in the story. We've talked about two. Let's talk about the third the older brother. The older brother represents the religiously oriented person, the younger son kind of represents the rebelliously oriented person. Look at what the older son does and look at how he demonstrates that while his actions are different, he's no closer to his father's heart than his younger brother. Luke chapter 15, verse 25 and following. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry Hmm. and he refused to go in. There's the father and there's his house and neither one of his sons are in it. The older son leaves in rebellion and the older son refuses to come in. Why? What would make a, a person do that? So the other brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father, again, what did he do to the father? The father went out. He went out with the younger son. He goes out with the older son. The father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years have I been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours. That's what I say to Jill when the kids mess up. Get your son get your son, get your kid, come on, do something with them. But this son of yours, this son of yours who, um, but this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. And neither son, neither son want to be with his father. Neither son, neither son understands the father's heart. But in both cases, the father extends first. The father goes out. The father goes out of his way, lavishes love. Please come in. Some of us in the room know what it is to walk out in rebellion. And some of us in the room have been mostly put together and somewhat religious most of our lives. You just were trained that way. You were brought up in it. But did you understand that it's just as possible to be unconnected to your father's heart when you're rebellious as it is to be unconnected to your father's heart when you kind of look like you have it all put together. And this gets us to the core of the resurrection because the resurrection is not about asking you to be better and to sin less. The resurrection is all about asking you to commit your heart to your heavenly father and to trust him and him alone for your relationship that there's no good work you can do that will earn your place in your father's house. You can't earn yourself into sonship. You can't earn yourself into daughtership. But your heavenly father can pave a way for you. And some of you have been disappointed by religious people. And I have too. There's probably not a category in life that disappoints me more than when somebody calls themselves Christian and doesn't live up to it. I don't like those people. I don't like it when I act that way. One time when I was going through a particularly disappointing time with God's people, God reminded me a little statement. I'm just going to throw it out. You can do with it what you want. God reminded me he didn't call me to follow his people. He called me to follow him. And that's where the Presbyterians in the room went, mmm, They gave me a good mmm. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't call you to follow his people not about his people's love although as a church we try to do it the truth is is that religious activity that is the the part that wants to clean up the inside is not what the resurrection is all about the resurrection is about God going down deep in our soul and changing our hearts so that we are now capable of responding to his grace So what is grace? You may want to write this down. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's part of the lavish display of love. And for rebellious people and for people who look like they got it all together, but their hearts aren't close to their heavenly father, for both of them, the antidote is God's grace willingly received in our life. And God wanted the older brother just as much as he wanted the younger son. But there was something about the younger son's humility that came at the end of his pain that the older brother, we don't know if he ever got it. We don't know if he ever got it or not. Which brings us to point number seven. You can turn away from God's love or you can turn towards it. Look at the last couple of verses. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, not just my son, your brother, he makes that family connection known. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost, but now he's found. And the story ends. And we have no idea what the older brother does. I mean, does he go back in and say, Dad, you're right, I'm sorry. I wanna be in your house. I want to be at the party. I want to welcome back my brother. No, we don't know. Maybe he did. And I think this is beautiful storytelling in part because it forces the same kind of question for those of us who read this story today. The same question that would have been in the minds of everybody who heard Jesus tell this story the very first time. What are you going to do with God's lavish display of love towards you? Will it cause you to forfeit your rebellion and bring yourself humbly before him knowing he's gonna accept you? Will it cause you to give up the pretense that you've got it all together and humbly repent and come back into your father's house knowing that all of the goodness you can offer will never secure your relationship with your heavenly father because it's not about being good at all. Christianity and churches are not about making good people They're about displaying the grace of God available to those who look like they have it together and those who clearly don't. And if Easter is about anything, it's clearly about God's power. But in this particular moment, it's also about what are you going to do with God's lavish display of love. And if you don't think he's capable of loving you right where you are and making you his own, I want to point you to an empty tomb that demonstrates that there is no enemy and no barrier over which God cannot be victorious. There's no sin in your life. There's no failure. There's no shame or guilt. There's no self-righteousness or pride. All of it has to give way to the victory and to the power that comes through our Heavenly Father's lavish, prodigal display of love upon us. That's what the resurrection is all about. That every enemy that would keep us from a relationship with God is defeated, including death. That Jesus didn't just display love. He has power to make love real in your life. And that's the message of Easter. That's what the empty tomb is all about. And when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says... And earth shook. Crazy things begin to happen. You can read the story of that in Luke chapter 24, perhaps this week. One of the things that became fixed in time and space is that our God is powerful. And when he declares you a son or he declares you a daughter, you can take it to the bank. You belong to him. And your own guilt, your own shame, other people's impressions, none of that. Matters. It all has to give way to the glory, to the power, to the extravagance of your heavenly Father's love. And so I want to ask you, do you know enough of the what that Jesus gave his life, that he was resurrected from the tomb? Do you know enough of the what that you, began, you can begin to see the why? Because I think if you'll embrace your heavenly father's heart, if you can see his heart for you as that younger son had a chance to experience. As the father pleaded with the older son, as he pleaded with him, as he ran out to meet him and he pleaded with him. I think if you can see your heavenly father's heart, I think I'm just bold enough to believe today it could literally change your life in a moment. You could lay down guilt and shame. You could discover power that can change the details of your life. I've seen God raise dead marriages. I've seen God replace bitterness with love and forgiveness. I've seen God take greed and destroy it and make generous people. I've seen people who seem to have squandered their life. God redeemed their story and made a powerful testimony that blessed thousands. That's the power of the resurrection. I've seen people who felt overwhelmed find peace because it's not just a good story, it's true. And I want to give you a chance to respond to it right now. In our church, we don't go for hype. We want you to make a conscious decision. And so I'm going to ask you to pull out your Connect card that you began to fill out earlier. And I'm going to give you five options to move forward with what you've heard. These are things for you to consider. And the first one is right on point with what we've been talking about. That today you wanna make Jesus your savior and Lord. You wanna put your trust in the one who gave his life on a cross, but didn't just die, he was resurrected. The words savior and Lord, is just a different way of saying you want Jesus to forgive your sin and you want him to lead your life. You want to come back into the Father's house. and We ask you to take that pen that was on your seat and just check next step A. You can put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service, only that we can communicate with you about it. We're not going to ask you to join the church, give money, nothing like that. Just going to communicate with you about what it means to be a child of God, freshly committed to Him. And perhaps you've been away for a while and I'm talking about the prodigal and you know it's you. I'm so glad you're here. You can make whatever commitment you need to make. Perhaps you need to reaffirm that decision that you made a long time ago. Perhaps it's for the very first time. If you'll check it, we'll communicate with you. Maybe some of you in the room, you've done that, but you've not gone public with your faith. So next step B says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. That's where we as a church family are gonna celebrate with you that you have been washed clean, that it's a fresh start. So if you'll check it, we'll answer your questions. Somebody on our team will be in touch with you and figure out when's your best time to get baptized. And the next step C simply says, Ben, I'll read the resurrection story from Luke chapter 24. So if you'll check that, we'll send you a link. You can read it right on your phone. But I want you to reflect on the resurrection this week. Because it's not just a story, it really is true. And next step D, says, hey, Ben, I'm willing to make a solid effort to attend all five weeks of this message series called Get Up. And we're going to explore each week how the resurrection makes a difference in different categories of our life. And if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to understand God more, you want some practical help from God's word and what the gospel can mean in the areas of your life, this sermon series is for you. If you'll check it, we'll send you a reminder about it. And the next step, E, if you're our guest, perhaps this is for you. Next Sunday after church, we have an event called Meet the Pastor. I'd love to meet you and get to know you. And we've set aside some time next week at the end of the second and at the end of the first service. So you can come to either one and we just meet each other and for about 20 minutes chat, answer your questions. Hey, let's pray about this stuff right now. Father, I wanna thank you so much that you didn't just give your life in a dramatic display of love. No, there was power there. There was power that raised you from the dead. And that means that everything you said is true and can be trusted. And when you said that our Heavenly Father would love us with a lavish display of love, we can take that to the bank. We can trust it fully. And when you said that we can commit our lives to you and that you would wash away our sins and give us a fresh start, we can trust you. God, I'm grateful that here on Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate a risen Christ. and We have an opportunity through the work you did to have a relationship with our heavenly Father who loves us so much. I pray, Lord, for that wayward son or daughter, that today they would make that fresh decision to walk back into their father's house, to join the party, to celebrate. I pray, Lord, for those people that are declaring for the first time, Jesus, wash away my sins. I commit my life to you. I put my trust, not in my own work, but I put my trust in the finished work that Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. My righteousness alone can't accomplish anything. So I trust the work that Jesus has done. And I pray Lord, that as a church family, we would move forward in accurately displaying your lavish love. That you would make us a family where love thrives. That in this community, people would see not perfect people, but people who love aggressively and generously. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.